a few changes on Sunday night, so you guys will be the first crew that gets to feel them a little bit. But we're going to begin, like usual, we're going to take a look at the book of Isaiah. So if you want to open up with me, we'll be in Isaiah chapter 31 tonight. It's been a couple of weeks since we've had the opportunity to, to break the bread of the word together. But as we take a look, we'll remember, or hopefully we'll remember, that we are, what, we are caught in what's called the six woes. So we have the six woes that are being laid out uh, by Isaiah the prophet. Keep in mind we're dealing with the split kingdom. So we have the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And in these split kingdoms, we have uh, the northern kingdom being Israel and the southern kingdom being Judah. The northern kingdom, Israel, didn't have a good king in a bunch. They were the area where all those who were tired of following the word of God went. They went to the northern kingdom. And in that northern kingdom, we see the Assyrian army come and destroy the northern kingdom. And as they destroy the northern kingdom, then they turn and begin to head south. They're heading down toward Judah. And as they head down toward Judah, as they're focused on going in that direction, Judah, the southern kingdom, is where God's people are gathered. That's where all the believers, all those who wanted to put their faith and trust in Christ, that's where they went. They went to that place. And so now Assyria, this army that destroyed the northern kingdom, is coming south. And Judah's starting to freak out. And Judah's looking for people that'll help him out. Judah's looking for people that'll, that'll stand by him and help deliver them. And so the word of the Lord coming through Isaiah the prophet is laying out to them, Hey guys, don't put your faith and trust in all these other things. Don't put your faith and trust in the might of man. Don't put your faith and trust in, in any other opportunity. You need to learn, put your trust in God. So as we take a look at chapter, 30, uh, chapter 31... He begins here, we're at the fifth woe. He begins like this. Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help, who rely on horses, who trust in chariots because they are many, and in horsemen because they are very strong, but who do not look to the Holy One of Israel, nor seek the Lord. And we just highlighted that a little bit last time we were together, laying out that this is what they did. Listen, throughout the Scripture, Egypt is an idiom Or an example of the world. And here the Lord is saying through the prophet Isaiah, Woe to you who put all their trust in the world, who look for the mighty horses, the powerful armies, who put their faith in all these things. Maybe we put our faith in an economy. Maybe we put our faith in the military might. Maybe we put our faith in our own abilities to to carry us through. But the Lord says, Woe to you who put your faith and trust in those things. And not... In the Lord your God. Because ultimately, what we forget, whatever we have, whatever we own, whatever we've been able to accomplish in our life was not done through might of our own arms, but through the blessing of God. That God blessed, God anointed, God gave. It was God's in the first place. And it'll be God's when it's all over. And he, so he tells us, when we face those things, listen, Judah was quick to run to Egypt and ask for help. But they hadn't called upon the name of the living God for help. 
And so this is God's wake-up call to them. In verse 2 he says, Yet he, okay, speaking of the Lord, Yet he also is wise and will bring disaster and will not call back his words, but will arise against the house of evildoers and against the help of those who work iniquity. He's saying, listen, I got your back. Come to me. I'll take care of the evildoers. Come to me. Put your faith and your trust in me. In verse 3, but now the Egyptians are men, they're not gods. And their horses are flesh, they're not spirit. When the Lord stretches out his hand, both he who helps will fall, and he who is helped will fall down. They will all perish together. The Lord say, look, it's just a wave of my hand. And it all goes away. Remember Jesus on the, on the Sea of Galilee, right? How long did it take him to calm the waves? Did it take a lot of time? You know, he had to really focus. He just said, peace be still. And it was still. And the same thing is true about the storms and battles in our life. God wants us to go to him. Sometimes he wants us to go to him because he's going to say, peace be still, and the storm will stop. Sometimes he wants us to go to him so he can endow us with strength to overcome. Sometimes it's something we need to go through. And sometimes it's something he'll deliver us from. But the only way we're going to know is if we go to him. If we do it on our own, if we try to do our own strength. And hey, let's face it, guys, we're, we're good at that. Every one of us men in here probably got nine different plans on how to overcome any specific struggle or issue we may find in our life but god says come to me first you call on my name and i'll be there for you so the lord has spoken to me verse four as a lion roars and a young lion over his prey when a multitude of shepherds is summoned against him he will not be afraid of their voice nor nor be disturbed by their noise so the lord of hosts will come down to fight for mount zion and for its hill so God's saying, he says, first picture is like a lion who's already gathered his prey. He's caught his prey. And in this case, God's prey is Mount Zion. And he's saying, the shepherds can holler and yell all they want. Lion's not leaving his prey. That's his. And the Lord is saying the same way, Mount Zion is mine. We talked a little bit about it before. Why are more wars fought over this one piece of ground than any other? Let me tell you, it's not oil. There's more oil a lot of other places than there are in Israel. In fact, there's not very much of anything there. There's stones, rocks. That's what there is in abundance in Israel. It's easier to stub your toe in Israel than anywhere else on the planet. More stones per capita. The story's told that there were two angels given the, the role of taking the stones and putting them around the world. One that was diligent and one that was lazy. The diligent one went around and he spread them all over the world. The lazy one dumped them all in Israel. <laughs> Stones everywhere. Yet, folks, more wars have been fought over the city of peace than anywhere else on the planet. Why? Because that piece of property, for whatever reason, God laid claim to. And the devil don't like it. So he fights over it. They fight it. It won't matter, folks. You, you think it matters if they, give, if they gave half of Jerusalem away tomorrow. They just want the other half. And if they gave all of Jerusalem away, they just want to kill them all. There's not nothing that will ever satisfy. There's not going to be anything that will satisfy until Jesus Christ rules and reigns as king. 
But the Lord says, that's my land. He says it's his. The land is his and the people are his. They belong to him. So God lays out for us, hey man, these are my people. This is my land. I'm just leasing it to them. It don't belong to the Palestinians. It don't belong to the UN. It belongs to me, my land. And I'm going to take care of my land. I'm going to watch over it. Then he gives an example of a a bird. Look in verse 5. Like birds flying about, so will the Lord of hosts defend Jerusalem. Defending, he will also deliver it. Passing over, he will preserve it. The picture of a, of a bird protecting his young, flying above. He's saying, hey, I'm going to protect Israel. It's mine. It's my land. It's my area. We shared the song tonight. And later on as we continue to study through the Old Testament, we'll get opportunity to study it. But the concept is the same. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, I will hear their cry from heaven. I'll forgive their sins and I'll heal their land. That's what God says. He says, hey, that's mine. That piece of property is mine in in Israel. And then in verse 6, he calls to repentance. Return to him against whom the children of Israel have deeply revolted. Listen, God's going to deliver. And we're going to see as we continue to study through Isaiah, God do this incredible thing in delivering his people. And as we look at it, we want to, we want to realize God's going to do it and he's going to deliver his people. But he always is calling his people to repent. Change your direction. And not change your direction tomorrow. Change your direction next week. Really try to be a better person. No, he's saying now, change. Come back to me. Because then at least when you're in my hands, when you're with me, you know beyond a shadow of a doubt anything that comes into my life passes through the hands of a God who loves me. And in some small way, that brings comfort. All right, Lord. But when I'm in rebellion against God and I'm out there on my own winging it, just flying around, then what comfort do I have? Now I think it's just a whooping I'm getting, right? The Lord says, repent. Come back. You've, you've rebelled against. The children of Israel have rebelled, deeply revolted. And then in verse 7, he, he lays this out. For in that day, every man will throw down his idols of silver and his idols of gold. Sin, which your own hands have made for yourselves. In that day, whenever he gives that reference, in that day, he's looking forward to the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord, folks, is the day of Christ's return. At that day, he says, everyone will throw away their idols. But the, the concept behind it in the original language is, it's like they're waiting until it's too late. Hey, when Jesus comes back in judgment, it's too late to get right. Because when he, when, by the time you see him coming through the clouds, that's bad. That's bad. Jesus came the first time as the lamb. He doesn't come that way again, ever. He doesn't. You read Revelation chapter 19. He comes back as vestures dipped in blood. You read Zechariah and it tells you that he is going to trample through the Jezreel Valley, a valley that's 180 miles long. He's going to trample the grapes of the wrath of God through the valley of Jezreel and the blood will flow to the horse's bridle. Jezreel Valley, you might know it by another name. 
the plains of Megiddo, Armageddon. Jesus doesn't need us. He's going to win that battle all by himself. And Zechariah says people will see him and, he, and he's going to be all splashed as though he was treading the grapes. And they'll say, where have you been? And he said, I, I was treading the grapes of the wrath of God alone. That's how Jesus returns. At that point, when he returns, it's going to be too late. So the emphasis on these verses is repent now. Turn to me now. Make things right now. Don't wait for tomorrow. Make them right now. Come to me. These are his people that God wants to have his hand on. And the same message is for you and I today. God wants us to turn toward him. To repent. To come near. Draw near to him. And he'll draw near to us. He meets us in that place. And then in verse 8, look, Then Assyria shall fall by a sword, not of man. You might want to make note of that. The Assyrian nation in 701 B.C. begin a decline that never ends until they are literally pretty much wiped off the map. What happens in 701 B.C.? Well, Shennacherib's got a mighty army, 185,000 men. And he's sitting right outside the gates of Judah, thinking that in the next day or two, he's going to wipe them up. He's going to wipe them out. But the Lord says, Assyria will fall, but not with the sword of man. And a sword not of mankind shall devour him. But he will flee from this sword And his young men shall become forced labor. They'll become slaves. Just like they enslaved others, they too will become slaves. He will cross over to his stronghold for fear. And his princes shall be afraid of the banner, says the Lord, whose fire is in Zion, whose furnace is in Jerusalem. Listen, they're going to come and they're going to gather. In fact, if you hold your finger here and turn to 2 Kings chapter 19 with me, We'll take a look at uh, a a, a sign of future events. Some things that uh, we'll read about here in a few chapters in Isaiah. 2 Kings chapter 19, beginning in verse 14. This is the event that he's writing about. Chapter 19, verse 14. And Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it out before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and he said, O Lord God of Israel, the one who dwells between the cherubim, you are God, you alone. Of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. So incline your ear, O Lord, hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Hear the words of Shennacherib, which he has sent to reproach the living God. Truly, Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste to the nations in their lands and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore they destroyed them. Now therefore, Lord, our God, I pray, save us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are Lord God alone. Now, beginning in verse 20 on, God gives his answer to Hezekiah's prayer. But we're going to just look at uh, verse 32. Verse 32 of chapter 19, the Lord says, Thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, 
He shall not come into this city, nor shoot an arrow there, nor come before it with shield, nor build a siege mound against it. By the way that he came, by that same way he will return. And he shall not come into this city, says the Lord, for I will defend this city and save it for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. So, Shennacherib sitting outside Judah, Judah having made all these, these deals with Egypt and other countries that Assyria wiped out, now they're left standing alone. And God said, yeah, I was going to stand with you. And the, Lord, and the Lord said in the scripture, not by the sword of man, Judah, you're not going to take care of him. Egypt's not going to take care of him. Nobody else. Hezekiah prays for his nation. Shennacherib gives him a letter. Standing outside the city with a, a chain of the heads of all the kings he's conquered and a pile of all the idols of gods that were supposed to save people that were destroyed by Shennacherib's mighty army. And Shennacherib sends his letter and says, Your God can't save you either. I'm going to put your head right next to these guys. And I'm going to put your idols in the fire just like I put the idols of the other gods that went before them. And Hezekiah went before the Lord and he laid out the letter and he said, God, I can't do this. You need to do it. And God did it. Not by the sword of man. One night they went to bed and 185,000 soldiers were outside. The next morning, they're all dead. Angel of the Lord, one angel passed through the camp. And wiped out 185,000 men. And that started the decline of the nation of Assyria. And began the uprising of another nation called Babylon. All in accordance with what God told Isaiah he would do. So that's what he's talking about as we take a look here in Isaiah chapter 31. Hey, Zion, my fire is in Zion. And my furnace is in Jerusalem. That's my land. Leviticus, God says it very clear. This is my land. I own it. Chapter 32, he goes on. Now behold, a king will reign in righteousness. Now, as he's thinking about all this deliverance that God's going to give, he looks forward to when Jesus Christ rules and reigns as king. And he gives us a description of what that's going to be like. He says, Behold, a king will reign in righteousness, and princes will rule with justice. A man will be as a hiding place from the wind, and a cover from the tempest, as rivers of water in a dry place, as a shadow of a great rock, in a weary land. He's saying, hey, look at all the good that man's going to do. Man's going to be like that place we like to hide from the wind. And I don't know about you guys lately. I've been looking for lots of places to hide from a wind. Okay, I hear you, brother. I even started having fires again. Just because when I walk from my truck to the house and that cold wind blows on me, it's like... <laughs> Well, he says a man's going to be like that. A man's going to be like a shelter from the wind. Describing the truth, the power of Jesus Christ. And that those who rule and reign with him. And by the way, folks, that's the church. That's those who are going to rule and reign beside Christ. He's saying, listen, there's no bad apples in the bunch. They're all good. 
Well, why? We studied it today. Why? Because the resurrection will have taken place. We will have our new bodies. We will rule and reign with Christ. We'll be like Him. No more battle with sin. We'll be perfected. Our battle will be over. Those who are living through the millennial reign, theirs just beginning. But ours will be done. So as we look at that, then he says this, The eyes of those who see will not be dim. Isaiah has already said that the reason why the nation of Israel is blinded is because they will not see. So God says, look, if you won't see, then forget it. I'll leave you blind. It's a choice they make. It's a choice they make to be blind. And so God said, I'm not going to make you see. I'll leave you blind. I'll speak to you in parables. If you don't want to read the plain word of God, I'll speak to you in parables and you still won't understand. But blindness is a choice. Isaiah says blindness is a choice. But here in the kingdom, those who see, they'll see clear. They won't be dim. The ears of those who hear will listen. Jesus also said, and Isaiah said earlier, they refuse to hear, so they won't. They refuse to see, so they won't see. They refuse to understand, so they won't understand. I'll lay out my word plainly to them, and they won't get it. So the scripture says here, now those who have ears, they're going to hear. And then he says, also the heart of the rash will understand knowledge. He says their hearts, their minds are going to be open to understanding, not closed off. The heart will desire to understand, and the tongue of the stammerers will be ready to speak plainly. Quite literally, that's speak the truth plainly. The, the, the lips that were only speaking lies, eyes that wouldn't see, ears that wouldn't hear, a heart that wouldn't understand. In the kingdom, that's going to be turned around. Eyes will see, ears will hear, heart will understand. So the Lord laying out the way that this transformation is going to take place when Jesus rules and reigns. And if you notice anything, whenever a, our world rules... Jesus is not reigning, we have a tendency to describe, have an imperfect description of of people. And that's what he talks about in verse 5. He says, the foolish person will no longer be called generous. There are people that the world would call generous that are just fools, he says. Nor will they say the miser is bountiful, that that person who's who's, uh, got bazillions of dollars but but is somehow involved in a charity, and everybody thinks, oh, how wonderful. Just the other day, I should never say I watch this dumb show, but just the other day I was watching American Idol. Kathy and I watch it. I don't know why. Sorry. But in American Idol, they had this show called American Idol Gives Back. And American Idol Gives Back is all about raising money. And as I was studying this scripture, it made me think of this This section because in a particular section of the show they have bill gates and his wife come on and ask for money (laughs) what bill gates you got more money in your pocket i'm gonna make the rest of my life and you're asking me to give i got an idea brother and everybody's like oh bill gates so wonderful look what he's doing really because in his bank account, he's got billions. 
Billions. No longer, as you say, they will call the, the miser bountiful. Oh, what a giving person. For the foolish person will speak foolishness. And his heart will work iniquity to practice ungodliness, to utter error against the Lord. He said, listen, you're going to clearly understand who the fool is. First, this attitude will be toward God. Then that attitude will be turned toward men. He says, then they will keep the hungry unsatisfied. And he will cause the drink of the thirsty to fail. That's a pretty good description of our world right now. You understand that there's no such thing as world hunger. We ourselves, our nation, could feed the world. We could do it. We don't. How come? Money. It's all about a buck, right? And not necessarily our bucks. The, I know for a fact that farmers in Kansas are told not to farm their land so the prices will go up. Don't farm. We don't, we don't want the extra. We don't want that. We don't want this, this event to take place. So, so hey, he's saying, listen, the, the sin of Sodom and her sister Gomorrah was the fact that they were full of pride. They had fullness of food, plenty of money, and they didn't care about the poor. And the same thing is laid out here. Hey, man, this is what they do. They, 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 they leave the hungry unsatisfied. They cause the drink of the thirsty to fail. And then he says, listen, also the schemes of the schemer are evil. Literally, that phrase in Hebrew means it's, it's talking about that guy who's climbing the ladder and he's willing to do anything to get there. It says, in the time when, when Jesus rules, you're going to know the fool. You're not going to wonder if he's a fool because of the things that come out of his mouth. You're going to know about their goals because of what they do and the choices that they make. The schemer, you'll know his schemes are evil, his plans are evil as he tries to step on someone else to climb the ladder of success. His schemes will be seen as evil. All those things will will come to fruition. For he devises wicked plans to destroy the poor with lying words, even when the needy speaks justice. But that generous man devises generous things, and by generosity he shall stand. So as he's looking forward to the kingdom, he's saying, there's not going to be that sense where you start to say that the, the wicked are, are prospering and the, and the righteous are failing. In the kingdom, you're going to rightly be able to tell the fool from the wise man, the generous from the miserly. You're going to clearly be able to see in that time that Jesus reigns. Unlike today, where we're never really quite sure who or what anyone is about. In that day, it will be made clear. In verse 9, he goes on. Rise up, you women who are at ease. Hear my voice, you complacent daughters. Give ear to my speech. Now he's going to begin to talk to the, to the, give a prophecy toward the women about being complacent, being satisfied, to be in the place that they are in. Now remember, Shennacherib hasn't, they haven't been delivered from him yet. He's on his way. And the Lord's going to lay out this warning to them. He says, in a year and some days, you will be troubled, you complacent women, for the vintage will fail, the gathering will not come. Tremble, you women who are at ease, be trembled, or be troubled, you complacent ones. Strip yourselves, make yourselves bare, and gird sackcloth on your waist. People shall mourn upon their breasts for the pleasant fields, for the fruitful vine. On the land of my people will come up thorns and briars. 
Yes, on all the happy homes in the joyous city, because the palaces will be forsaken. The bustling city will be deserted. The forts and towers will become lairs forever, a joy of wild donkeys and a pasture of flocks, until the Spirit is poured upon us from on high. When Jesus Christ pours out His Spirit, Folks, nothing else is ever going to satisfy. You may, we may experience good times, good economy, good, good things happening for a period of time, but there is nothing else on earth that will satisfy like the pouring out of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We need the Holy Spirit poured upon us. For them in the Old Testament, listen, the Holy Spirit didn't work then like he does now. The Holy Spirit came upon you to do something God intended for you to do, and then he left and went to somebody else. And went to somebody else and went to somebody else. The only time the Holy Spirit came and stayed is when Jesus said, I will give you a comforter who will be with you, who will never leave you or forsake you. He will be in you, upon you, and work through you. That's what the Spirit does in our life. For for. Uh, Judah here, the Lord saying, hey, it's a year and a few months, and all these things are going to come to pass. A year and a few months, you're going to see this army outside your gates. A year and a few months, and you're not going to be complacent anymore. A year and a few months, you're going to be calling on my name. You're going to be saying, Lord, save. Hosanna. Save now. And then he, he gives them this piece of hope until the Spirit is poured upon us from on high. And the wilderness becomes a fruitful field, and the fruitful field is counted as a forest. And the life giver pours out his life. Scripture lays out for us that revival always begins in the house of God first. And the time has come for judgment to begin in the house of God. That God wants his people to turn their eyes to him. Just like Hezekiah, to call out on him and pray. To pray for that outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Because that outpouring of the Holy Spirit is what changes everything. It makes everything work. It strengthens us to be who God's calling us to be. To do what God's calling us to do. To do a work that God wants to do. He can do it without us, but he won't. He waits. He waits for his people to call on his name. And experience what God wants to give. Verse 16, he says, Then justice will dwell in the wilderness, and righteousness remain in the fruitful field. The work of righteousness will be peace, and the effect of righteousness, quietness and assurance forever. My people will dwell in a peaceful habitation, in secure dwellings, and in quiet resting places. Though hail comes down on the forest, and the city is brought low in humiliation. So blessed are you, who sow beside all waters, who send out freely the feet of the ox and the donkey. See, he again, he's looking forward to the messianic fulfillment of Christ reigning. He backs up and looks at the tribulation and the hard times that are going to come. Then he looks forward again to what it's like in Christ. And that's what we have to realize in our lives. There are times when we experience those spiritual highs. We're right there walking with the Lord. God's doing incredible things in our life. And then we hit the valley of dry bones. 
And what does God call us to do in the Valley of Dry Bones? Pray. And watch God put the pieces back together again. And we call upon His name, and once again, we're in that spiritual place. We're in that spiritual dwelling. Keep in mind, when we face difficulties, when we go through hard times, God allows those things to happen in our lives so that we can get our eyes back on Him. Keep our eyes on Him and allow Him to receive the glory for what He's about to do. He's got our attention. He's got our attention. Our eyes are on Him. And I think God wants our attention tonight. I think God wants our focus tonight. So one of the things that we're going to do different that we haven't done or been doing on on Sunday nights from about this time forward, we're going to pray. But we're going to pray, we're going to do something a little bit different. Not necessarily popcorn prayer, but directed prayer. What do I mean by directed prayer? I mean we're, we're all going to pray, seek the Lord in a direction. Instead of randomly, and I was saying if God lays something on your heart and, and you want to pray, right on. But for the most part, we want to be directed. Listen, I believe God wants to pour out His Spirit and work a revival beginning with us and moving out. But we've got to be right. So I'd like us to focus our prayers in that direction, that God would bring that revival, praying for our area, praying for ourselves personally, that, that we would be open to whatever God wants to do in our life and strengthen. And I'd like to ask a couple other things while we're doing it. We'll, we'll dim the lights. We're not going to have worship. We're just going to pray. And we're going to pray in that vein. And, and we'll just pray in turn. As the Lord lays it on your heart, pray. If God gives you a word, give it. If the Lord lays a verse on your heart, stand up and share it with us. If God wants to move and, and direct in your life, He wants you to, to share something with us. We invite you to be a part of that with us. But in also in regard to that, we want to provide opportunity. We, we're going to go for about 25 minutes-ish. And so there's more than 25 people here. If somebody takes 10 minutes, then somebody else is not going to get an opportunity. So as you pray, let's keep it focused. Keep it focused. Two, three minutes, you know, give your prayer and then give someone else an opportunity. And I encourage everyone to be a part. Look for opportunity. Be sensitive to the move of the Spirit. Again, if God gives you a verse, share it with us. That we can say amen. God lays a prayer on your heart. We invite you to, to pray that out. As we just seek the Lord in the outpouring of God's Spirit on God's people as we gather together Sunday nights at the, at the end of the service. That's how, uh, that's how we want to end things up. So I'll go ahead and kick us off. And, uh, and then I'll close this up. And uh, as the Spirit moves, so pray. Uh, if you don't want to pray out loud, pray to yourself. God still hears. That's the good news, right? Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just come before you this evening, Father, and we lift up this time to you. And Father, we just want to be sensitive to your spirit, God. We want to be sensitive to your leading. We want to be sensitive, Lord, to this work that you want to do in us. For I believe you want to pour out your spirit on your people like maybe we've never seen. 
God, your word declares to us that judgment must begin in the house of God. Even as Hezekiah, facing the things that lay before him, he laid them out before you and said, God save, God direct, God guide, Lord get the glory, and God you delivered. So I know you'll deliver us. Father, I know that there are people all around us, all around us, people on, in farms out in the country that have no relationship with you, people that are deceived and following false God. And Lord, you love every one of them. And you want to do something. You want to do something in us and through us. So, Lord God, we just seek your direction this evening. Lord God, we just seek your blessing. Lord God, we just seek your touch. Father, that you would guide. Lord, that you would direct. God, that you would begin to do that work of repentance as we turn toward you. As we, your people, call on your name. 